Superficiality is the curse of our age. It's the curse of our generation. We're so busy, busy, busy that we skim across life. We have superficial, potentially, relationships with our spouse, with our children, superficial conversations. We become superficial ourselves, within ourselves, kind of hollow people. It's so easy in our day to be superficial. Well, I just want to say that to us this morning, church family, it's one thing to be superficial with ourselves. It's one thing to be superficial with each other. But to be superficial with God is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. God did not send his son so that you and I would have a superficial relationship with him. The son did not bleed out, shed every drop of blood inside his body for you and I to have a superficial relationship. And the son did not send the Holy Spirit in fullness so that we maintain a superficial, arm-distant relationship. God is tired of us dabbling. God says to us this morning, quit dabbling. Quit dabbling. Quit dabbling with God. Quit dabbling with your, your your own personhood. And quit dabbling in your relationships. Quit dabbling. I want to tell you a funny story. This one I tell on myself. So when I was a kid, I loved animals. And uh, we never, we, we had dogs, and my mother let me get a little kitty cat once, and I couldn't stand it, and uh, we, we found a new home for that. I had squirrels, I had a raccoon, I even, I always wanted a monkey. And I lived in New Jersey outside of um, New York City, and you're not going to believe this, one day I went in my backyard, and there was a monkey swinging from the trees. It was the most, you know, how random is that? It was a beautiful monkey. Well, then I, was, I, I went to a zoo, and they had a talking bird. I thought, man, I want a talking bird. And I found out that minor birds are the most intelligent birds. Like crows, you know, are really smart. Uh, the, the minor bird is smaller in, in stature, but a bigger head than a crow, so it's really intelligent. Well, so I bought, I saved up, all my yard work money and stuff, and I bought a minor bird when I was like 16. Well, what do you feed a minor bird? So a minor bird eats fruit only, soft fruit, like bananas, um, melons, um, and melons, and bananas. Well, soft fruit that goes in the mouth, comes out the other end as soft fruit. (laughs) It was a disaster. This cage of my new trophy bird, I'm there trying to talk to it, and it's it's cutting loose out the wrong end. It's giving me way more out the other end than out the mouth. Oh, sorry about that. So, 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 my mother kept cleaning out the, the, the birdcage. 
We had to change, we, we had to, you know, like the baby changing diapers. We had to change the stupid uh, newspaper in the bottom of the minor bird cage every day. It just reeked. And then we started getting these little fruit flies. Because what, 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 what went in, and anyway, sorry. So, so it, was, it was a disaster. Well, I went away uh, for a weekend with a friend, and I came home, and um, it took me a week after I got back to realize the bird was gone. <laughs> and I went to my, my dad. I said, Dad, what happened to my minor bird? He just oh. He said, ask your mother. <laughs> so she, she said, you don't care for your bird. You, you wanted like you wanted it to do tricks, but you weren't training it. You weren't even caring. You weren't even caring for it. And then she handed me the wad of cash that the the, the pet store gave me my money back on the cage and and the and the bird. Oh, it's all good. But what was the deal? It's a, it's a silly story. But I was dabbling. I wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted a bird to talk. I didn't want to care for the thing. I didn't want anything else to do with it. I just wanted it to sit there and talk to me. Well, you have to feed it, and then you have to clean it. Anyway, you get the picture. Well, as silly as the story of the minor bird, some of us got into Christianity because we didn't want to go to hell. We wanted to get forgiveness. We wanted to get eternal life. And, and since then... That's, that's where it started and where it ended. And everything else has been superficial. The whole book of Hebrews gives us the answer for dabbling. And the answer for dabbling is two words, draw near. Draw near. It begins for us this morning, Hebrews 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So to enter, there's movement here. This, we're, we're called to enter. And, and then it, it picks up the, the... Now, verse 22 is the first of three verses, bam, 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 and they all have the let us. Let us. It's a call to action. And many people feel that this is like the breaking of the wave of, of the book of Hebrews. This is, this is the, the pay dirt. This is what it's all been leading up to are these three exhortations. Verse uh, 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up. But we're going to start with the first one, verse 22. Let us draw near. I want you to circle those two words, draw near. They're actually, in the book of Hebrews, they're there four or five times. The first time is our year verse. It's, it's Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne. Let us draw near. And then it, it is again in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 25. 
consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. There it is again. And then we see it here in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 22. And then again in chapter 11, verse 16, which is a culmination verse. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now, um, imagine with me. I, I want to I submit something to you this morning. Imagine if we no longer called it prayer. Imagine if we substituted for the word prayer the word draw near. Draw near. You see, the book of Hebrews Chapters 1 through 12, don't ever say pray. What it says is draw near. It's not till chapter 13, verse 18, that the writer of the book of Hebrews says pray for me. That's where he calls for prayer. But the whole thrust of the book, that's almost an afterthought. The, the whole thrust of the book is a call, draw near, draw near, draw near, draw near. And the next book in the Bible is the book of, of James, and it says in chapter 4, verse uh, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, what's, what's the deal? What's, what is it with this draw near? Now, <clears throat> draw near completely flips on its ear the way we usually think of prayer. We usually think of prayer as inviting God to do something here for us, inviting God to come into our situation. But that's not what the book of Hebrews is saying to do with prayer. Prayer is not an opportunity primarily to invite God into your world. Prayer is primarily an, an environment for you to join God in his world. And the problem is, uh, without the mindset that prayer and worship, fellowship, church, our time with God each day, without the mindset of drawing near to God, prayer will always turn God into a vending machine. What can I get out of him? What can he do for me? But that's not the reason Jesus shed his blood. That's not the reason God sent the Holy Spirit. That is not what God is after. He is not after just pleasing your needs and meeting your, your whims and requests. What God wants is a relationship. He wants a love relationship, a covenantal love relationship. And he wants your life around his he is not interested in conforming his life to yours. So if you and I begin seeing our times with God as a time to draw near to him, that is where we will quit dabbling. If all you do in prayer is invite God to come into your world and work a miracle answer a prayer, <clears throat> you'll always be dabbling. That's totally superficial. It's a total distortion of the whole gospel. The gospel is that God loves us. 
He made us in his image to enjoy his presence. And he sent his son to make a way for us to be able to draw near and to have a desire to draw near. Because life does not revolve around us. Life revolves around him. Hallelujah. This is a shift. Now, there's something else that we have to point out here again. We were all taught, if you were raised in church, going to Sunday school or whatever, you were taught as I was the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is everywhere. The problem with that teaching is while it is true and biblical, it is not what Jesus saved us for. Because you can be unsaved and have the omnipresence. And if, you, if, if now as a Christian you think, oh, I'm smart, I know that God is everywhere, and, and if that's all you're after, you will never draw near. Because you, you don't draw near to the, the, to the omnipresence of God. You don't draw near to the everywhere presence of God. You will not get any closer to the everywhere presence than you are right now. You can run away from God and still have as much of the everywhere presence as you do if you draw near. But what you won't have is the manifest presence. You take the whole reality of God's manifesting presence out of the equation and you will never draw near. The only reason you draw near is because God loves to manifest himself in tangible ways in your life and he loves to reveal himself. He loves to speak to you. He loves to do things for you that no one else will ever do. That's the manifest presence of God and that's why we draw near. And that is why the Father sent the Son. It's not so that we might know about the everywhere presence, but so that we might draw near to the manifest presence. Now, when you make it a habit of drawing near and encountering his manifesting presence, when you draw near to him, that's how you go deep with God. If you never draw near, you will never go deep with God. Now, in order for you to want to draw near, God has to do something in you. He changes your disposition. He gives you a hunger for God's presence, that you now have a longing for the glory of God's revealed presence. And that, that longing will not stop until it's fulfilled. And nothing in this world will ever be able to fulfill that longing except the glory of God's manifesting presence. Now, when you draw near and you go deep in God, something wonderful happens. God goes deep in you. And he changes you. He keeps, he, he takes you from, from settling for a superficial existence he takes you deep, and he gives you a resonance to life. He gives you meaning. He gives you fulfillment in life. He meets those, those cravings of your soul like nothing else will ever satisfy. 
And so we come to verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now this holding fast, it takes something deep in you. Now it's holding fast, it's like the picture of the hand, but it's not a hand. You hold fast inside. There's, there's a depth to you that you're holding fast. This, is, this goes beyond the superficial. You can't be superficial and hold fast. Holding fast comes from within. It's a deep longing within you that rises up to take hold of the things of faith. And it only comes when God has gone deep in you. David went deep. It says in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know, and know my anxious thoughts. Expose, Lord. Bring to the surface. Lord, I want you to go deep in me, is the cry of David's heart. My favorite movies are the animated films of Disney. It's because my favorite people are my grandchildren. <laughs> One of those is The Lion King. And it's about Mufasa, the, 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 the king of the jungle and the the, the, the one who has domain o over everything. And then he gets tricked by a distant family member, Scar, and he ends up dying. And, and his, but Mufasa's little cub, his little baby boy, Simba, uh, gets, goes through all kinds of guilt and I, identity crisis, runs away to an alternate jungle. And, and there he grows up in a carefree life, but he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't even know he's, he's a lion. And before he knows it, he's a full-grown lion, and he's at a watering hole, and he looks at the reflection of himself in the watering hole, and it's like startling because he's no longer a little baby lion. He's now a, an adult lion, and he, he, looks, he bears a strange resemblance to his dad. And he hears this voice, and it's James Earl Jones. Uh, who has a few words to say. This is, this is Mufasa, his father speaking. Simba. Father? Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? You have forgotten who you are, and so you have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than you have become, and you must take your place. I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Remember. Father, remember. Don't leave. Remember. It's an incredible picture of how this Baby cub grows up to be a lion but doesn't know who he is because he ran away from his father. And the father is the one that calls forth 
the best out of him to become all that he's intended to be. The father restores the kid's identity. And you and I are like orphans. We've run away from father. We're alienated from father. And father is the one who calls forth who you are and your true identity. Father God can call forth and is the only one to be able to call forth who you are and call you into all you are meant to be. It's a powerful picture. It's a powerful picture. From a little kitty movie. I <clears throat> returned Thursday noon from the Arab world. We had an incredible time, and I want to show you some slides and tell a few stories because these people went deep. So we trained leaders from 12 nations, and it was amazing. The first night there, uh, I preached in a church, and there was a little boy who uh, he uh, came and he wanted, he, he had a pain in his back and he wanted us to pray for his healing. And we prayed, but then uh, I felt the Lord say to me, he needs to be saved. So I asked him, um, do you know Jesus? And he fumbled and the translator was like smiling, yes, he does. But I, that's not what God was telling me and that's not what his countenance was telling me. So I said, do you know Jesus? Well, well it was unclear. So would you like to receive Christ? Well, he wasn't real sure on that either. So we prayed and <clears throat> God did minister some healing. But five minutes later, his name is Sammy. Five minutes later, he came back and he said, um, "My," he said, I, I want Jesus. Like God convicted him that he wasn't really all in. And God uh, changed his heart and he received Christ last Sunday night. Hallelujah. So that's Sam. And, and the rest of that t-shirt says, why not? Okay. Uh, Dan Kirk did a tremendous job uh, teaching. I think he probably taught five or six lessons. It was amazing. Steve Phillips uh, taught three or four lessons. Uh, it was uh, tremendous. Okay, just leave this slide. These guys are from Algeria. And um, the guy in the middle is in charge of the video department for uh, the mission school in Algeria. The guy on the right, he runs, he's the, the head of Operation Mobilization Algeria and kind of is responsible for the mission school. They did several recordings of me uh, on video that they're going to uh, translate and and using their mission school, but the guy, the guy on the on the right who who does the training, he was telling me so many stories about the persecuted church, and it was so touching to me about family members that, that died and and uh, that were kidnapped and taken away they never saw again and and went on and on and then he said this, but you know persecution is good, it keeps us honest. That hit me. Here they are, extremely persecuted in Algeria. It's one of the most persecuted church nations. But, but you know, he says, but you know, persecution is good. It keeps us honest. Well, what's the point? Here's the point. They, in the persecuted church, you're either a believer or you, you, you never pretend to be a believer. And if you are a believer, you're not going to be a superficial believer. You're not going to dabble as a believer. You're going to be one that draws near, and God draws near to you, and, you, and God takes you deep. That's what he's saying. God, persecution keeps us honest. 
What is that? That's deep within ourselves. Honest with who we are. Just quickly, we're going to run through a few more. <clears throat> quickly. Uh, this guy's from Egypt. He looks like a rascal, doesn't he? Okay. Uh, this guy's from uh, Syria. A tremendous brother. Uh, these are from northern Sudan and southern Sudan. Uh, in the past 30 years, more Christians have been killed in Sudan per capita than anywhere else on earth. Uh, these are from Jordan, uh, dear people. Okay, just leave this a second. This family is from uh, Kurdistan, uh, northern Iraq. They really want us to come back. I don't know. Sherry and I were there uh, seven years ago, but it's gotten a little bit more dangerous. Uh, they assure us that we'd be safe, but here's the deal. These people are from the Kurdish people. When I was in college, God put on my heart to pray for the Kurdish people. I prayed every day for 25 years. The first 10 years, there was no known believer among the Kurdish people. Now there are tens of thousands of and, and these, and they're taking, of all things, they're taking the College of Prayer back there. I never thought anything like this would ever happen, but it's happening. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. But they go deep. That's the point. They go deep. They hold fast to their confession. I point you to a church that holds fast to their confession. Now, when you go deep in God and God goes deep in you, we can go deep together. And that brings us to verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. That's kind of a dig. As is the habit of some. Um, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what is this? Well, this is, this is going deep together. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word stir up, it's only used twice in the Bible. The only other place is in Acts 15, 39, where there, it says there was a strong contention between Paul and Barnabas over whether or not to let Mark join him on a mission trip. And Paul says, I'm not going with that guy. And Barnabas says, I'm not going without him. And they parted ways. It was a strong contention. It's the same word used here to stir up one another. It's kind of edgy. It's kind of invasive. It's kind of um, in your face. Uh, in other words, um, a little bit don't take no for an answer. Like, um, stir up one another. Uh, it's actually the same word as, as, as a, a, a crop on a horse. Not a whip. You're not abusing. But you're just, you're, it's a little bit of a, a slap or the spur on the back of the boot of a gaucho uh, getting, their, getting the horse going. They, you know, they don't bring blood, but they give a little uh, shot in the rear end to get the horse going. That's the, the spur on, to stir them up. And, and what's it to do? To stir up love and good works. I love this. Watch this. To stir up love. Love is the internal. Love is what God wants from us. To stir up love with God, love for ourselves, and love for each other. The same three areas that God wants us to go deep. To go deep with God, 
in love, go deep with ourselves in love, go deep with each other in love. Stir up each other to love and good works. In other words, it's got to prove itself. It, it, there needs to be action. It can't just be an internal disposition. There's got to be action and traction that comes with the love. I love this. And then, <clears throat> considering not neglecting to meet together. Now, COVID has been a pain in the neck, right? Uh, COVID has done a number on our fellowship. COVID has given us every excuse in the books to not gather. Well, I don't mean to be demeaning, but we got it. Life goes on. Life goes on. I mean, so you've watched what's happening in Ukraine. To me, it's the greatest atrocity in my lifetime. Um, I've never seen anything like it on, on at least 20 levels. It just, it, it, I just, I, I don't, the, if you were alive when Hitler was alive, you saw something comparable or maybe worse. But, but this, to me, it's, it's right up there. It's right up there. Well, the church, now our, our, our group, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have 15 churches in Ukraine, and they're doing great. They meet every day for worship. Now, if anybody had an excuse to not meet for worship, don't you think they would have an excuse? But, but they meet. It's incredible. Every day. And they have prayer around the clock. Every hour, 24 hours a day, they'll read a psalm in church. They rotate who's going to read the psalm and carry on prayer. And that's the love for God. Love for themselves is their, their national respect to defend their nation, the sovereignty of their nation. And love for each other, they give food. Our churches, the 15 churches in Ukraine, are giving food, medical supplies, housing to people that don't have it, knowing good and well that their supply of food's going to run out pretty soon, but they're sharing it anyway. Praise God. Yes, praise God. No, it's really extraordinary. It deserves a little shout out. That they're living, verse 24 and 25. But you know what else gets me? Praise God for the church. But there are Hollywood stars who are in Ukraine. There are NBA stars. There's professional athletes like tennis players, gymnasts, divers, swimmers who have taken up arms and are in the streets defending Ukraine. I mean, these are people that didn't have to be there to do this, but they've been, they went back and are doing it. Now, if an unbeliever can take up arms to defend their nation, cannot we as brothers and sisters in Christ gather and defend the honor of the kingdom? Oh, there's so many lessons all around us. Verse 22, let us draw near. In other words, don't dabble with God. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Don't dabble with yourself. 
Verse 24. Let us stir up one another. Don't dabble with each other. A friend of mine told me a few years ago, and I'll never forget this statement. I asked him to repeat it, I think, three times. Dabblers will never change the world. Obviously. You can dabble in the stock market. You can dabble as a day trader. You can dabble with your hobbies. You can dabble with ham radios and gardening and interior decorating. But please don't dabble with Jesus. Don't dabble with the Word of God. Don't dabble with drawing near. Don't dabble in your marriage. Don't dabble with your children. Don't dabble with your relationships. Don't dabble with your neighbors. And the answer to dabbling, if there's one ounce of conviction in your heart this morning on this message, the answer to dabbling is draw near. It's the only way to cure our dabbling is to draw near. Because you go deep with God, you draw near to God, you go deep with God, he will go deep with you. And when he goes deep with you, you you're, you're free to go deep with each other. Hallelujah. Draw near, draw near, draw near. We're running a little late, but Don, if you would come, I hope to preach faster. I was having too much fun this morning. I apologize, <clears throat> but I want to give us time. And here's where I want to. Here's how I want to end. I've asked the team to sing two songs. Maybe let's jump, jump, jump right into that second one. Name above all names. I want you to stand with me, please. And I want to encourage you this morning to slip out from where you are and stand here. It says draw near. Now, obviously, it's talking internally, not externally, but, but externally helps. I want you to see yourself approaching God, approaching the presence. Now, we know that the omnipresence is, is as much where you are as here, but the manifest presence may not be. I want to encourage you to slip out and make a, a, a declaration that today I want my prayer life to be more about him than me. I want to shift to draw near to God. Let's draw near to the Lord this morning.